every pro-aging account that I've been able to find that's rooted in the USA holds up a thin, white, silver-haired woman. Sometimes they're brown or black. Sometimes they're more diversity, but they're thin, really thin. And there's something about that bringing with it more, like you're still hip, you're still relevant, you're still vital, you're still capable, if you're at least thin. You're listening to Burnt Toast. This is the podcast where we talk about diet culture, fat phobia, parenting, and health. I'm Virginia Sewell-Smith. I also write the Burnt Toast newsletter. Today, I am chatting with Deborah Benfeld. Deborah has helped hundreds of women heal their relationship with food, eating, and their bodies over a 35-year career as a registered dietitian nutritionist specializing in the prevention and treatment of disordered eating. She brings her passion, expertise, and lived experience to the intersection of pro-aging and body liberation work. Her work is rooted in helping clients recognize internalized ageism and end it, dismantle internalized diet culture and fat phobia, nourish their bodies to support vitality and aging and develop a respectful partnership with their bodies. I've been a fan of Deb's work for a long time, and she's been a part of the Burnt Toast community for a long time, which I so appreciate. So this is a conversation I've been really looking forward to having. And I have to say, it's kind of blown my mind in a couple different ways. It really is an opportunity, I think, for those of us on the younger to middle end of the aging spectrum to reckon with the way anti-aging thoughts and biases come up for us and to do some work there. And it's also really helpful to think about the intersection of these two issues. And a lot of Deborah has to say just feels so wise and so right and really resonated for me. And I think it will resonate for you too. So here's Deb, but first a quick break. Okay, time to read another of your five-star reviews. Remember, if you leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcast, I will read the good ones. If you don't like the podcast, you don't have to do that. This one is from M West 4834. They write, extremely helpful. I don't have kids yet, but I don't want them to grow up with the body struggles I had. I love listening to this podcast to get ideas for how to talk to my future kids and also to help myself unlearn problematic views before I become a parent. The podcast is also so fun and all the topics are handled beautifully. Thank you for this amazing resource that is an absolute blast. I recommend the podcast to all my friends. Thank you so much. I love hearing that. I love that non-parents listen to the show, whether you are hoping to have kids one day or you never, ever want to have kids. I think just so many of these issues go beyond parenting. So I'm really glad you're here. If you want to support the show, you can also leave us that rating or review. Make sure you're subscribed for free in your podcast player so you never miss an episode. And consider a paid subscription to the Burnt Toast newsletter. It's just $5 a month or $50 for the year. Click the link in your episode description or go to virginiasoulsmith.substack.com. So I turned 64 years ago. And when that happened, I got curious about just in general, what the research was saying about aging and how to make choices to support myself. And, oh, I was hit very hard with things that I was, shouldn't be surprised, but I was Mm -hmm. surprised to see how loud and obnoxious the diet and wellness industry messages were in that entire pro-aging culture, not to mention the thin bodies. So we can talk a lot more about that. Yes, definitely. Since all that happened and since my frustration with it, I've kind of 
headed in a direction to kind of provide and create something that I was looking for myself. So you reached out to me to talk about having this conversation after I'd written a little bit about grappling with feelings about our aging bodies. And, you know, as I said in that piece, like, I'll be 42 this year. I'm fairly new to thinking about ageism in anything other than the abstract. And it is clearly time I start learning about it. So Mm -hmm. I'm eager to be doing this work. And I'm eager to talk with you about how it intersects with anti-fat bias. I think we should start with the ageism piece a little bit. You know, what is ageism? How does it show Mm -hmm. up in the world at large? Ageism is having a preconceived notion or a a storyline or prejudiced view of an other person or your own self based on age or perception of age or a look. Mm-hmm. And I think the way it shows up in the world is complicated in that we have so many myths about aging. I have two grandchildren, one and three, that I read stories to. And probably like you probably hear this all the time, you just want to edit, edit, edit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The stories about the old characters are just all atrocious. The parallels with the anti-fat bias is compelling, and we can talk Mm -hmm. about that later. But the myths about old people being unhappy and grumpy and rigid and having a closed mindset and not being interested in new things or sex or pleasure or Mm. being depressed— And certainly being less capable and having a poor memory. I think that might cover it. There's probably more. (laughs) (laughs) On the many list of possible stereotypes, I think you've gone through the playlist anyway, the greatest. Yes. And when it comes to how we see our own bodies, I think we've all internalized that without question and hold anxiety for what our bodies and our experiences will be like Mm -hmm. as we age. Yeah, I have many people that as I start to talk to them say, well, I've been thinking about this since I was 25, or I started thinking about Botox when I was in my 20s, and Mm. it's happening earlier than I expected. I think that's more true now. I have a very wise dear friend who's now talking to her teenagers about how they see aging Because it's going to happen to everybody if we're lucky. Right, exactly. It is the goal, actually. Yes, exactly. Is to get to age. But I think you're right. I think it's sort of this invisible form of bias because we render people invisible as they get older, especially Mm -hmm. women and other marginalized folks. Mm -hmm. I mean, we know that in workplaces, ageism becomes a factor at 35 for women. That's when it starts. And so, yeah, so the pressure to start fighting your aging is happening well before you're actually aging, right? which feels really messed up. Since you mentioned reading books to your grandchildren, do you have the book, The Truth About Grandparents? Is that one in your collection? Oh, I need to get that one. It's by Alina Ellis. We will link it in the transcript. And it is just a marvelous book. It's like the truth about grandparents is they don't like to have fun. And the illustrations are the grandparents doing these like silly, adventurous. They don't like to dance and they're dancing and camping outside. And like they don't care about romance and they're kissing. And it's just like beautiful 
positive depiction of how wonderful grandparents are. And what I really love is the grandmother is fat. She's just fat and doing yoga and doing all these great things, you know. And Thank you for telling me about quick that. Quick little yes. recommendation I think you'll really enjoy. So now let's get into how you see ageism paralleling anti-fat bias. And also, you know, if you think there's differences. Well, one of the things I think is just, I grab my head every time it happens. When I hear anti-aging activists talk about the phenomenon of ageism, almost every single one says, this is the last unchallenged prejudice. Hmm. (laughs) And that is because they aren't, I don't think, as aware of the reality that anti-fat bias is also, Mm -hmm. and maybe more so. I do think we in general need to get away from this is the last bias because, uh-huh. I mean, there's also ableism. <laughs> there's like, like mm-hmm. the sort of, there's a little bit of hubris in the idea that you've identified the one last bias. And ableism is so mixed into this mix, too. Thank you so much for saying that because it's definitely in there. The other thing I think is true is that you probably already have thought about all of these things, but... We've medicalized both and Mm. created huge industry about addressing both naturally occurring phenomenon that biodiversity and aging are both normal and natural. Mm -hmm. And they have become the object of industry, including medicine Mm -hmm. and pharmaceuticals. So the more I read about anti-aging, just to kind of familiarize myself with the bullshit, the more I see it's just all the same mess that I'm accustomed to seeing with Mm -hmm. the anti-fat bias reality. Mm -hmm. So there is an American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. Wow. And how are they preventing aging? (laughs) Well, they're doing all the research. They're doing all the research on, guess what, dieting. And same thing, same, very, very, very similar with also pharmaceuticals. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. lots of stuff about our brains. I just love that no one at that association has thought about the, like, impossibility of that name for the group, like anti-aging medicine. Like, you can't prevent, you know, we literally can't stop time. You need to check them out because they're there to (laughs) sell you. They're there to sell you on the fact that perhaps they can. (laughs) Wow. Yes, perhaps they can. Wow. Wow. Yeah. 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 It's real. I'm also curious about the spectrum. You know, we talk a lot about the spectrum of fatness. Mm, And it's the same when you talk to people about age. Mm -hmm. They have different, like, young, old. Young, middle, old, and old. I'm not kidding. (laughs) Same thing. I mean, I'm actually young, old as a 64 year old. Okay. I mean, they start talking about being elderly when you're 55. (laughs) Elderly, but still young, old. (laughs) Senior. I mean, all the words. Well, and again, it's going to vary so much on your context, right? Like, what is elderly in Hollywood versus what is elderly Ooh. in Michigan, yeah. you know? Or with like, pregnancy. Yeah. Right. And I think what's elderly for women is different than for men. So true. And people have such strong reactions to, I am not a fan of the word senior, but I am cool with elderhood. Mm-hmm. I'm way cool with being an elder. I'm mm. cool with being old. Yeah. I'm cool with that. 
What is it about senior you don't like? It feels condescending. Yeah. Feels like it just doesn't apply. I mean, yeah. it's nice. So I'm getting a discount at the movie theater. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah take that discount. discount. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but I agree. Elder sounds like wise and revered. Oh, in I a love way that, it. Yeah, but elderly, mm. more frail, fragile. Mm. Yeah, there's different mm-hmm. implications. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. I haven't thought a lot about mm-hmm. these words, and they're probably different for different people too. I think probably still a problematic role of euphemisms. Like I really bristle when you like see a waiter in a restaurant talk to an older person and say like, come along, young lady, or, you know, like that is just like so condescending to me. The elders speak. Yeah. Yeah. As a way of talking to elders Mm -hmm. as infantilizing them, right? A way of patronizing people. I've had the experience already and it is not pleasant. Did you just like let it go? Or is there anything that is helpful to say in the moment? I was shocked since I'm a young old. Right, right. (laughs) I, you know, was like, damn, this just happened. She just called me sweetie. I mean, it was just, it was totally, I knew what she was doing. Yeah. And when I've told the story to my friends, they're like, oh, she was really, she was just being nice. Mm, The gaslighting was there too. Sure, (laughs) sure. Yeah, I wish she didn't mean anything by it. Yeah. Yeah. She was just being nice. Wow. And when it comes to, you know, your experience in medicine, that's another parallel, Mm -hmm. is you are not considered a whole person after a certain age. There are many, many stories of like not being looked at, not being spoken to, somebody else looking at the other person with you. You know, looking at your age first and assuming Mm -hmm. it's your age that is the issue. Yeah. Like Ashton Applewhite, I don't know if you're familiar with her work, highly recommend her TED Talk. We can link that too. She's amazing. She talks about like going into the doctor actually with a 64-year-old body saying like, my knee, this, this, and that. And, you know, immediately the doc talks about her age and she's like, but the other knee is the same age. (laughs) I have two 64-year-old knees having different experiences. Yes, why is one five? Yes. <laughs> That's amazing. I remember a conversation with my step-grandmother when she was probably 82, 83, somewhere around there. And for some reason, we were having like a family-wide discussion about how we felt about our ages. And then we said, you know, UT, that was her name, you know, how do you feel about it? And she was like, it's my primary characteristic now. It's what I'm constantly reduced to. And that was a real moment for me. It made me Mm. realize how much I was reducing her to her age, you know? Mm. I thought of her as this frail old lady we had to, like, help in and out of the house and sort of take care of Mm because she was having mobility challenges. And that was a moment for me to reckon with, like, right, we have Mm -hmm. all, like, everyone in this room has reduced you to your age in a way that's Mm. really problematic. So much loss. I don't know. I hope she felt like, yeah, I hope we did better after that, but we probably didn't do enough. Well, the hope is that this movement that is starting to happen, I think is real, is going to shift and change things for people, especially women, as they approach this 50-plus menopausal, mm-hmm. postmenopausal reality. Yeah, That's my hope, is that this conversation is going to get loud. As you're sort of talking to folks about their own experiences of aging and, yes, trying to shift to a pro-aging movement and a pro-aging conversation, how do you think about individual choices about things like Botox? Because I want to hold space for the fact that, like, 
there are workplaces or there are other contexts where a lot of this feels necessary as a survival strategy. And yet also we need to examine these choices and, you know, how we're being complicit in perpetuating the bias. Yeah, I think as a feminist, this has been, you know, an entire lifetime of curiosity about what I feel about augmentations Mm -hmm. and procedures and cosmetics and so many things. And I try just to let women do what they need to do. Mm. I don't know what else to do. It's like, let women have their autonomy yeah, and make their choices. If we believe in body liberation, though, we have to believe in body liberation. It's not my first thought. I have to get to that sometimes. I have <laughs> yeah. to talk myself into that. Place. Through that. Yes, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But that's helpful. Yeah, I can make some judgments real quick. <laughs> I mean, sure. I'm good mm-hmm. at that. But... But I would like to be less good at it. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. That's helpful. You do you. Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I understand it just like I understand people who want to be thin. This world makes it very hard to have a body. It, it <laughs> An really aging does. body, a larger body. But my go-to is Sonia Renee Taylor's work. That's where I go. And understanding that the default body is real and... It doesn't feel safe or like you have any power or like you belong if you are in any way other than the default. Mm-hmm. And aging is part of that and all the rest, right? Yeah. To try to remember that and hold compassion for people still wanting to pass as thin, pass as young, pass mm-hmm. as whatever they need to pass to feel safer and like they have some power in their lives. It seems like there is still value in naming it for ourselves, you know, naming I'm dyeing my gray hair because Mm -hmm. of X, Y, and Z reasons. Even if you're not making a different choice, even if it doesn't feel safe to make a different choice, even if this is the choice you just really want to make, understanding the larger context feels really important. And women who are talking about the going gray phenomenon since, you know, COVID kind of accelerated that for a lot of people. Right. Talk a lot about how differently they're treated, you know, same as, you know, when people lose weight, how differently Mm -hmm. they're treated. And it feels good to feel like you belong. It feels good to feel like you are relevant. And it can be frightening to feel like you're no longer as relevant. Yeah. So it's quite the process. And now we're talking about like why aging actually makes you more vulnerable to diet and wellness culture. That's what I think. Mm, Say more about that. I think because of the fear of relevance, because of the fear of being frail, alone, for all of those stories that we carry about aging, all of the fear that we and anxiety that we carry about aging makes us feel somewhat protected from those things coming true if we hold on to thinness. Because every, and I mean every, I have yet to find, please show me where I'm wrong. Every pro-aging account that I have been able to find that's rooted in the USA holds up a thin, Mm -hmm. white, silver-haired woman. Sometimes they're brown or black. Sometimes they're more diversity, but they're thin. Yeah, yeah. Really thin. And there's something about like that bringing with it more like you're still hip, you're still relevant, you're still vital, you're still Mm -hmm. capable if you're at least thin. So there's some interesting vulnerability that I think 
women as they age have for falling into the trap. There's also some health things. I, I've talked to women all day, and this is what they tell me, is that I was doing well in my recovery or my intuitive eating. I was doing really well until the doc said, mm-hmm. you know, this health scare happens, breast cancer, yeah. something yeah. happens, and they start to associate it, losing weight, and they're sometimes they're told losing mm-hmm. weight will protect them from mm-hmm. a recurrence or from, you know, an accelerated disease process. So there's kind of a double whammy happening. Yeah, I've definitely heard from elder women who have said something like, you know, well, that's fine when you're under 50, but once you get over 50, you know, the health issues mean that you have to eat this way. You have to follow these rules about eating and that they don't feel included in conversations around intuitive eating or just Mm -hmm. not dieting because they believe that the health risks are more present for them. And I think a lot of that has to do with the narrative they're getting from doctors and healthcare providers about what right. aging means and how weight needs to play into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm also thinking about how, you know, when you're talking about like the pro-aging accounts featuring thin women, you know, I think fat folks experience ageism probably sooner in some ways. I mean, there's mm-hmm. often, and again, I'm thinking specifically for women, it, it sounds similar to the narrative I hear around moms, like young moms feeling like they have to get their body Mm. back because they can't look like a fat mom. It's like you've Mm. given up some relevancy by becoming a mom, right? Your sexuality is somehow, even though you've obviously had sex to become a mom, you are somehow Mm. now not a sexual Mm -hmm. being, you know, not Mm -hmm. desirable because you're a mother. Mm -hmm. So you have to hold on to thinness because becoming a fat mom is this like sad, you know, the mom bod Mm. thing is such a sad Mm -hmm. failure. And I think the like you know, the way we talk about mom jeans or mom hair, all of this is very ageist as well as very fat phobic at the same time. I hadn't thought about what happens when a woman becomes a mom. It's so true now that there's so much pressure. And that's what I mean. Same for as you age, there's so much pressure to hold on to this identity to be relevant and worthy. Yeah. And (laughs) based on sexually appealing. And what you're saying is that it is impossible to age or be fat or be a mother and be worthy and sexually appealing and valuable. Like you're saying these things are mutually exclusive when, of course, they aren't, right? Not at all. Not at all. And I think I also just want to say, because I know there are folks that are not in the U.S., what I see in other countries is that there are, there's much more biodiversity around the pro-aging conversation outside of this country. So I have seen it. I just haven't seen it in the USA. And I don't know what that's about. What is that? The power of the dermatology lobby here and the beauty industry. And and Hollywood. I mean, we're in a deep. We're in a deep, for sure, in a lot of different ways. So we've got things to learn. We're adolescent in our learning. Right. Very much so. Another thing that you've hit on a little bit already, and I want to make sure we dive deeper into as we think about these two issues, is the reality that there is a lot of unchecked ageism in the fat activism community. And as you mentioned, a lot of unchecked anti-fatness in the pro-aging community. How do we see this playing out? You know, what do you think this disconnect is about? I think that I have spoken to folks in the 
anti-fat bias community and have been well-received. I have not been well-received when I speak up in the pro-aging community. Oh, interesting. And I'm trying to figure out what that is. There, mm. I just think, I think we have so much work to do around anti-fat bias. That's what my hunch is, is that the anti-fat bias is just so deeply held and pushes up against the health conversation, mm-hmm. the fear around the risk that I think is also so deeply biased. And mm-hmm. people are seemingly not interested in looking at that more deeply. Yeah, that's really Whereas interesting. I think in the anti-fat bias community, I think they're like, oh, yeah, thanks for letting me know. I'm glad to hear that's been your experience. But I do think, you know, when we look at the way the body positivity conversation has centered young, mm-hmm. thinner white women, mm-hmm. you know, I mm-hmm. do think there's a celebration of youth that can be problematic in these spaces. Mm. Probably the number one question I get from readers is, how do I talk to my mother? And the reader is a millennial and the mother is a boomer. And, you know, how do I get her to stop being so harmful about these issues? So this is something I spent a lot of time thinking about. How do we have these intergenerational conversations and hold space for the harm that that boomer mother has experienced because that's so many decades of anti-fat bias. But there also often is coming from the millennials a dismissiveness of that. And it's coming from the fact that you've experienced harm from this person and the relationship is complicated. But it is also important to not just write off this generation and think, well, they're boomers, they can't get it, you know, and that okay boomer Mm -hmm. sort of attitude is Mm -hmm. ageism and is really harmful. And I have both experiences. I have mothers saying that they really want to help their daughters who are Mm. caught up in their own diet culture, their own way of feeding their grandchildren that they Mm -hmm. find problematic. I think it's maybe less common, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. I hear both. Mothers and daughters both saying, can I refer Right. <laughs> my my mom or my daughter. So that shows, like, not all boomers, guys. Well, I'm a boomer. I'm a boomer. Right, right. Of course. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think that a thread that we've kind of started in these conversations are like this multi-generational conversation that needs mm-hmm. to happen. And the frustration for me is that I got books to send. I got so many books to send <laughs> when it's like, Let me help you educate your daughter. Mm -hmm. Like your upcoming book is on Mm -hmm. the list. (laughs) Thank you. But the other way, not so much. There's this big need for this conversation. Sure, sure. But I do think grandmothers and grandparents feed a lot of kids, Mm -hmm. sometimes raise kids, sometimes do after-school kids, sometimes do weekends, and, you know, also make lots of comments around bodies. So it's a very important conversation. Yeah. Okay. And the dismissiveness is not helping. No, it's not fostering a dialogue. I mean, it's going to be protective of the kids to include mom and grandparents and everybody at the table, literally. As we're talking about all of this, too, I think we should also name the problem of white feminism showing up in these spaces. Well, I don't know if this is going where you want to go, but for me personally, as a kiddo that identified as a feminist, like way back in the late 60s, early 70s, I was all in. (laughs) And my 
I noticed the white thinness mm-hmm. and I really noticed it, of course, the more I started doing this work. Mm-hmm. And I felt like the body was being left out. I just mm-hmm. felt like the body was being left out of the conversation. Yeah. So I think that's carried through. I yeah. think maybe the body's going to be included in the conversation now. I don't know in a different way with Roe v. Wade and body autonomy meaning sure. so much right now. You know, the body in general is a bigger part of the conversation. Again, thanks. Yeah, yeah, thanks for that, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Can't believe it, but here we are. And... That's what I notice is that it feels like it just got totally left out. In the charge for equal pay and women mm-hmm. being able to build careers. I mean, that's the sort of like mm-hmm. the version of white feminism we're talking about, the lean-in mm-hmm. model, the girl boss model. Which stay really thin. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so power equals thinness. Yeah. My clients talk a lot about feeling vulnerable when they feel soft. Mm. There's a lot of vulnerability with feminine identity, with curves, with flesh. Mm-hmm. That's vulnerable and uncomfortable in, in the patriarchal world we live in. That's what you get when you age. You get yeah. soft. <laughs> yeah. You get soft. And the push is to get in the grind and do your strength training and drop your carbs and get rid of the belly fat. And that's the conversation, which is very much like... Yeah. Post mom. That's, there's a lot of parallel there. They really are. Yeah. So there's a vulnerability that I think we need to keep talking about. That's, I don't know if it's real. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's, if it's perceived because of, you know, buying patriarchal stories. Well, and it feels very tied to what we were talking to before about relevancy and erasure and wanting to fight that, wanting to stay relevant. Very much, very much. And this is also, just making me think about, you know, how much the conversation around menopause is not happening in the way it needs to. And that's another version of erasing older women's experiences. Yeah, the menopause conversation is really so simplified to what I just said. Mm -hmm. Do your strength training and really don't eat carbs. Right. And it feels like it's just those two mm-hmm. issues over and over and over again. And that I challenge on the regular. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not nuanced. I mean, I personally am way postmenopausal, and I feel like it's a powerful, exciting time of life. Oh, that's it, awesome. Yes, it's a lot has dropped away. Yeah. That I feel like it was bubblegum on my shoes. It was like it's now there's much more potential for me to have energy for other things. And I don't want to hear people talking about that. It's so fear based. We're not hearing about that. How do you feel like you have more energy? Like what's changed? I think estrogen biologically orients us toward our family and caring for others and the drop of that allows for you to shift your attention toward yourself in a way that our culture doesn't necessarily feel comfortable with. I mean, you have to be willing to do that. Mm-hmm. It's not going to yeah. fall in your lap. Right, right. Because the culture is still going the other way. But I think it has huge potential for shifting your energy toward an exciting time. And, you know, Emma Thompson, I'm sure you saw all the 
Emma Thompson conversation, which I adored mostly. (laughs) (laughs) Same. What if we stopped wasting our time with that? I mean, it's such a time suck, energy suck. We know that. Life suck. Here's this opportunity, this stage of life that can be something really exciting and different and new. And instead... You're buying into this narrative that's like, but how can you be exactly what you've always been? And how can you still be as small as possible? Well, how can you shrink and diminish your voice? And how can you stay in line? Right. Wow. And where I see people saying that, which is so frustrating to me, is the pro-aging folks, they're all about like, women still want to feel sexy. Women still want to look a certain way. So there's Mm -hmm. still all this emphasis on thinness. You're not rejecting the premise. You're not saying you can still be a sexual person who's not thin. You're just trying to hold on to this thing. That doesn't feel pro-aging to me. Right, but that's what it's called. If you look at the hashtag. I'm just so grateful that you are pushing this and pushing this conversation because, yeah, it just feels very maddening to feel like you're finding someone having the conversation and then realizing they're having the same old conversation. And they're not willing to engage. Yeah. Very defensive. And that's where the white feminism parallel is, that that fragility and defensiveness. And Yep, yep. But I was just trying to do a good thing here. Well, to that then, like, what can we be working for? What new conversations can we be pushing? How do we start to do this advocacy for a true pro-aging movement? The potential for not buying into the loss of menopause. I mean, I don't want to not acknowledge the loss. Mm-hmm. But there's so much more. It feels like we've really kind of focused in because there's a lot to sell there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of products and programs to sell with, like, staying with addressing your hormone balance. Women are so many things, and there's potential for staying with your growth and your excitement and your dreams as a woman who is aging. I feel like that's one of the most important things. And that can look so many ways and so many kinds of bodies. Mm-hmm. Can we just please look at some diversity? That's, that's my number one issue is I yeah. want some diversity. Yeah. Bring me some diversity in the bodies and all the things. Yeah. And as you're saying that, I'm realizing, I mean, we're talking a lot about menopause and we're talking a lot about women and we need gender diversity here too, right? I mean, we... Do we have examples of elder trans folk and elder non-binary folk? And, you know, like, how are we seeing those body stories centered and celebrated here? That's another piece that's probably missing. Yes, that needs to happen, too. It's definitely an opportunity to do some reflection on where your aging biases show up and how it's manifesting and, you know, what comments and terms do we need to start challenging I think that's all really important work. I really appreciate you helping us start this conversation in Burnt Toast, specifically in this space. Can I recommend a couple of books? Please, yes. If people want to do that work? Yes. I've already mentioned Ashton Applewhite, and her TED Talk is a great starting place. Mm -hmm. Tracy Gendron has written a book called Ageism Unmasked, Exploring Age Bias and How to End It, which is... Zero fat phobia. <laughs> I'm reading, you know, all of these with that lens yeah, sure. intact. And I've thrown away a lot of books. <laughs> <laughs> 
this is a curated list, folks. Very mm. carefully curated. Heavily, list. heavily. Yes. Awesome. And breaking the age code by Becca Levy. How your beliefs about aging determine how long and well you live. I don't know if you've heard about her research, no. but she actually showed that your attitude around aging can alter your lifespan by seven and a half years. Whoa. That's it's real. Her book and her research, mind-blowingly important. Great. It's a bigger undertaking. So mm-hmm. both of those books to me would be great places for people to go. Well, and since we've gotten into recommendations, we can do better, which is our recommendation segment. Do you have any other recommendation you want to make for us this week? I'm going to have a hard time limiting. <laughs> no, great. Give us a bunch. So sort of on HBO. I haven't watched it. It's just, I love it so much. Okay. So tender, such a tender storyline. I adored it. And I hope I've got the name of this book right, but Angie Cruz, How Not to Drown in a Glass of Water. Oh, I have that in my to-read pile. I'm dying to get to it. I can't stop. You know, that's how you know something's so good. Yeah. I feel like I am chained to the cellular level, and I can't get it out of my mind. Her voice is in my mind. Oh, that's Love, love that book. Amazing. Well, those are excellent recommendations. And related to books, my better this week is in-person book clubs. If, again, if you're in a place with your COVID caution that this is doable for you, I know it's not for everyone. Zoom book clubs are also great, but I'm in two local book clubs at the moment. And we had a meeting of one last week and I have a meeting of one tonight. And I've just been thinking about like how much this is something I've missed in the past few years is being able to have in-depth conversations with folks about books that I love the book club last week, we read Keith A. Lehman's Heavy. Mm-hmm. I was rereading it. I actually listened to the audiobook this time, which talk about being changed on a cellular level. Mm-hmm. Listening to Keith A. read that book is mm-hmm. just a, there's an extra mm-hmm. recommendation for you folks if you haven't done mm-hmm. it. It's a work of mm-hmm. art. Yes. And the conversation we had was just like really like fulfilling and special. And it's a great way to connect with friends, to connect with new people. I'm just really feeling book clubs and the power of them right now. And I'm saying this not just because I'm an author with a book coming out that would be a great book club pick. <laughs> yes. But I have another one that's just like some local women, other mom friends. And it's such a, that's the one I'm going to tonight. And I've been excited all day because like we all get to leave our kids at home and come together and do this thing that we really love. And it's been really special. So if you're not in a book club, but you are a reader, I was sort of resistant to them for a while for Reasons I can't even remember because it's just a wonderful opportunity for community and connection. Can I mention a book club story? Yeah. I don't know if you remember this, but when you wrote your first book. Yes, of course. (laughs) Do you remember that you came to our book club? Yes. That was virtually pre-Zoom. I don't know how we even did it, like through FaceTime maybe? I don't know, but you showed up. That was a wonderful night. Oh my gosh, yes. I have a client who still says when we're working on her eating that when she's having difficulty accessing hunger sensation, like I feel like Virginia's baby. Oh my gosh. That's so beautiful. Wow. Yes. I just want you to know that. Oh, wow. Yeah. So Deb ran, I think you called it the Body Liberation Book Club, right? I did. A long time ago. A great name for a book club. And it was so much fun to come and talk with her book club. Virtually. Yeah, virtually. It was awesome. 
but they were all in person and I was, yeah, yes. on FaceTime or something. Um, yes. That was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a great, it's a great opportunity to connect with people. And yeah. So, well, Deb, thank you so, so much. This has been a wonderful conversation. Please also tell listeners where they can follow you, what other stuff you have coming up that we should know about, all of that good stuff. Okay. My website is DebraBenfield.com. Very straightforward. (laughs) And my social is at Aging Body Liberation. And I have a group coming up that I'll do several times, but the next group is going to be the first week in April. That is a small group coaching that is focused on aging with vitality and body liberation. So we pull together how to navigate everything that we've been talking about today, how to kind of dismantle your internalized ageism and diet culture mess and find your way toward your own healing process with practices to support that. Amazing. And I'm in love with it. So that's a virtual virtual. group folks can join. Great. We will link to that in the transcript as well so folks can find out how to join if they want. That sounds amazing. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Loved it. Thanks so much for listening to Burnt Toast. If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe for free in your podcast player and tell a friend about this episode. And consider a paid subscription to the Burnt Toast newsletter. It's just $5 a month or $50 for the year. You get a ton of cool perks and you'll keep this an ad and sponsor free space. Find out more at virginiasoulsmith.substack.com. The Burnt Toast podcast is produced and hosted by me, Virginia Soul Smith. You can follow me on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at V underscore Soulsmith. Our transcripts are edited and formatted by Corinne Fay, who runs at Cell Trade Plus, an Instagram account where you can buy and sell plus size clothing. The Burnt Toast logo is by Deanna Lowe. Our theme music is by Jeff Bailey and Chris Maxwell. And Tommy Heron is our audio engineer. Thanks for listening and supporting independent anti diet journalism. <laughs>